0: Psalms. As we think about the the, the Reformation, um, one of the convictions of the Reformation was sola scriptura, uh, the Word of God alone. And one of the things that kind of was recovered during the Reformation was the the systematic preaching of God's Word, the the verse-by-verse, book-by-book preaching of God's Word. And uh, as as history uh, states, John Calvin was ousted from his pulpit in Geneva uh, after he finished Psalm 120. Five years later, he was invited back and got back in the pulpit and he said, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 121. right?" So this week in and week out, going through verse by verse, book by book, hopefully it will be edifying and encouraging to us. Well, I'm going to read the entire psalm, I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive in this together. Hear God's word. To the choir master, according to the little a testimony of Asaph, a psalm. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention of our neighbors, and your enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. You took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea, and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. You have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face, but let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall turn back from you, give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Father, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the preciousness that we get a chance to study week in and week out. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the people of God at Park Baptist Church. God, I thank you that testimony after testimony after testimony is of people who love your word, who want to know more of your word, who want to go deeper in the understanding who you are, oh God. Father, I pray that that is not taken for granted by me or any of our leadership or any of our members that we realize that we have a special community here at Park. Oh, God, I pray that as we open the word of God now that we would learn more about you, that we would understand how we can approach you um, and referencing who you are and your character. Oh, God, I pray that you would send your spirit. Speak through me, I pray. Edify your people. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The first uh, section, um, verses 1 and 2, what you see here is the the restoration of the shepherd king. uh, The restoration of the shepherd king. we know that throughout these sections of Psalms, one of the things that you hear repeated is this idea of trials, that uh, that the people of God are suffering either uh, personally or corporally immense trials. Last week, we thought about this idea of them being in Babylon and the city, the sanctuary of God, being desecrated and destroyed. And we continue this idea of how long uh, for the Lord to come. Well, here, it's almost a continuation of this, this plea of God to restore us. But I want you to notice how the psalmist asks God to restore them. And he really just references God's character. So there's four aspects of God's character that we see in this passage. More than four, but I think four that the, the psalmist really is trying to draw out and asking God on the basis of these four character traits of Almighty God, I'm asking you to restore us, Lord. Now the first is this idea of God being our shepherd king. Number one, verse one, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, who led Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us." Well, we know that shepherds uh, exist because sheep are stupid. Okay, Sheep make poor choices. Sheep don't often know where to go. Uh, And, beloved, we often are like sheep, right? Uh, Even though we know what we should do, we don't do what we ought to do, right? Uh, There's times in our lives where we don't know which direction to go, and we are worried, and we are afraid. Uh, We are, are overwhelmed, and the Lord, like a shepherd, leads us. And this is the plea of this psalmist. He's calling out to God to lead us like a shepherd, as you led Joseph like a flock, this, this idea of Joseph and, and, and Joseph being, thinking Egypt, Joseph brought the people of God to Egypt, and you, you led these people through uh, Egypt in the wilderness. You were there for them. Uh, our God is a, is a caring and kind shepherd. I think that the reason why uh, the idea of pastor has, has kind of resonated more in, in America, because uh, America really was a rural community. Uh, it's a world of rural country for most of its uh, existence and this idea of a pastor is really just a shepherd that's what the word means it's, it's a shepherd and it's interesting because in all the new testament the word pastor only occurs one time as a office in Ephesians chapter 4 it says god gave pastors and teachers but everywhere else it's elders it's bishop it's overseer uh, but There's something that resonates with us, this idea of a pastor, one who shepherds us. This is what Peter says. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This is the same image that Paul uses speaking to the elders of Ephesians, this idea of shepherding, caring for the people of God. And this is what this psalmist is asking. He's asking God to shepherd them. Lord, we don't know where to go. Will you please shepherd us, direct us, lead us, care for us? Um, my, my children and I are kind of going through a uh, memorization uh, a tool or, or program, booklet, whatever you want to call it through the children Desiring God. Um, and uh, we're, we're in this week is Psalm 56, three and four. And it says, "When I'm afraid, I trust in you, O oh God, in whom I trust." And it's a beautiful picture of a psalm because David is at this point hiding from psalm. Saul kind of worried about his life, and we asked, you know, the kids, well, do you remember anything about David before he became king? Well, he was a shepherd. Well, what did David do when he was a shepherd? He fought lions and tigers and bears. <laughs> no, not tigers, but lions and bears. He laid down his life to protect the sheep. This idea of this, God being our shepherd. who who shall not make us want, who who leads us beside still waters and makes us lie down in green pasture, who restores our soul, is a great picture. And these, these people of God are suffering. They're dealing with immense pain, and they're saying, God, shepherd us. Shepherd us. Protect us. Care for us. This is who you are. This is your name. Shepherd of Israel. Do what you did. In the days of Joseph, lead us. Care for us. So I guess one of the appeals I would make to you, whenever you're dealing with trials in your own life, and you feel overwhelmed, burdened in trial, that I would ask you to go to the Lord in prayer and say, "Oh shepherd of your people, lead me. Protect me. It's on the basis of his character. You know, the the scriptures are constantly trying to show us this, this picture of God's kindness. This is one of the ways that one of the ways that God shows His kindness to the world is by giving shepherds of churches and shepherds of homes. So God says fathers are called to lead their families, to shepherd their families. In, in ancient Israel and even in the in the church tradition, uh, a father was looked at as the shepherd of their home. It was his job to provide, protect, and care for his many flock. Uh, Gary said it today, is the reason why our our, our culture is kind of crumbling is because there's no longer shepherds caring and leading for their home. And listen, if you have a good, caring shepherd or father who's leading the home well, what does that do? It reflects to the good shepherd above. God has given fathers to help their children know the Father, the good shepherd. It's the same way when God gives godly pastors to churches. When when churches are shepherded well, cared for, and loved, what the people of God see is they they see through the the leaders and through the pastors and shepherds, and they see through them to God and realize that God is a trusting, loving shepherd. That's the great images of 1 Peter 5. that says that we serve until the, the chief shepherd or the good shepherd returns. But not only is he a shepherd, he's also our king. He's enthroned, the Bible says, upon the cherubim. He is the one who is not only tender and kind and gracious and leading, he's also king. And he has might and power. It's a powerful image. There's a, there's a kind of a refrain that kind of works through this entire psalm. It's the idea of shine forth. This, this shine forth, which really I want to kind of draw out, the, out there in this next character of the Lord is that the restoration of the smiling Father, the restoration of the smiling Father. Look what we see in verse three. It says, "Restore us, O God. Let your face shine, that we may be saved." Now I think when, when you when you see the idea of they may be saved, I think you have to read it in both contexts—a present circumstance. God, we want to be saved from our our earthly trials and circumstances because they want vindication as the people of God in whatever trial they're dealing with. But it's also an eternal one, right? Because our final hope is not in this world, is not in good earthly circumstances. Our our final hope is in glory. To be saved from this life and graduate into God's presence. But you see, restore us, O God. Let your face shine. That we may be saved, O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them the tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors; our enemies laugh among themselves. Now, nowhere does it say here that God was not God was not that God was unjust to do so. You notice that. The psalmist realizes that the people of God deserve their punishment. And the people of God are just begging, God, let it be enough. Restore us. And only God can restore us. When we, when we drift into sin and we do things that dishonor his name, only God can come and restore us and, and, and bring us back to him. Only he can reconcile us to himself. And this is what they're, pri- they're praying for. God, help us. Help us. Restore us. We see this in verse 7. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. I get the picture here of just a a father who is angry at his child for their constant disrespect and disobedience. And you just see this this, this face of a father that is furled and just angry and doesn't know what to do. And all of a sudden smile breaks out. And it's over. Anger is done. Come here. I think about that with, my, with myself. I think one of the weaknesses of, of my own parenting uh, is sometimes I, I try to use my voice as a motivation uh, to scare my children. I want, to, I want to put the fear of God in my kids for their disobedience. And I think in, 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 my, in my weaker moments, I'm not patient, I'm not kind in, that, in those words, but I'm trying to, um, to strike fear. And then I realize that halfway through my discipline and losing my, my cool, and what I want is I want my kids to see me smile. Hey, I'm not mad. I love you. Come here. I want them to see my my face, my smile on my face. And I think this is what the psalmist is asking here. Now, if God is a smiling father, and according in this day, the idea of a a father would have been calling God a father would have been foreign. They would have not called God a father. They would not have that that imagery. But they would have had a compassionate God picture. But what, what Jesus has done, Jesus has kind of flipped that for us. We now are called to say our father who are in heaven. We, we, we call God Father. And we want His delight or His pleasure. We, we don't want to obey God because we have to. Because if we don't do this, God is going to smite us. No, we want God to smile. And the, and the psalmist realized our sin separated us from you. Our sin broke down that fellowship. God, please smile. Smile at us again. We want your favor. It's, 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 a, it's an intimate relationship here. And they're appealing to God to, to shine forth. You know, we picture... This, the reason why I think about a smiling father is because the picture of, of shining in the Bible is I think about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. It says that His, his face shone. Right? The picture we see in Revelation that His, his face shone like the sun. In that vision, and this is what I think that God wants us to do when we're going through our trials, when we, we repent, and this is what this is what the psalmist is doing. He's he's saying, "Listen, we we've dealt with it, right? Restore us. We've come back to you, God. Only you can do this." And listen, no matter what you ever, whatever you guys are going through in your lives today, God desires this heart. God desires for you to repent. To turn from the things that are hidden inside your mind, the doubts, the, the outright sins, the disobedience. God wants you to, to turn from that so that you can have his smile. I, I I remember this picture that John Piper shared about the fear of God, and he went to visit uh, one of the members of his congregation with his son. And um, so they're at this house and they have this they had a big dog there at the house. I'm not sure what kind of dog, but just imagine a big Rottweiler. And uh, they're there, and you know, John says to his son, hey, can you go to the, to, the, to the car? I forgot something. Can you go run and get it? And as soon as the, the child turned to run, the dog started barking and going crazy. So the, the son stopped. And he turned around. The dog was fine. And he says, right there I realize that is the fear of God. Right? When, we're, when we have a good disposition to the Lord, we're walking towards them, he's fine. He delights in us. As soon as we run away from him, he gets angry. Right? And I don't think that he gets angry in the sense that we, we fall away. That's not the picture here. Right? Just go with the illustration. I think God doesn't have that delight in us. Right? Um, we shared. I shared this on, on, on Tuesday night when we were studying with the college students, talking about the love of God. And you know, I think oftentimes we think that love is only good. Right? Meaning um, unconditional. God will always never let us go. Right? That's the kind of picture that we always think about unconditional love. And uh, D.A. Carson wrote an excellent book, "The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God." Now we can say that love the love of God is conditional or love of God is unconditional. And we also can say that the love of God is conditional. Both are, are shown in the scriptures, right? So that love maybe manifests itself in different ways, right? So for me and my children, I will always love them, and yet there are certain times that my love takes a different form. Sometimes it takes discipline. Uh, Sometimes it takes distance, right, in trying to shepherd and care for your own children. And I think what the psalmist is asking for here is that God, please smile on us again. Please give us that smile. The the third character that we see, character trait of the Lord, and remember, we're going through this trial, and the psalmist is just appealing to God based on his character, based on you being our shepherd king, based on you being a a compassionate, tender-hearted father, God, Respond to us, restore us. The next image is the restoration of a tender, careful gardener. Look what the the, the scripture says, verse 8. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You know, Gary said it this morning, is that in one sense the church is an institution, the people of God are an institution, but in another sense they, they are a living organism. And I think the living organism analogy really is is kind of drawn from here. It's kind of a theme all throughout Scripture. That the people of God are a vine. They are planted. They are living and and active. This is what Jesus says, that I am the, you are the vine. I am the vine dresser, right? That we are connected to Jesus, who who is the vine, and we grow off of him. Here, Israel is the vine. It says that God planted this vine out of Egypt, brought this vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted. Look at how the care of God here. You drove out the nations and planted this vine in the promised land, in Canaan. You cleared the ground for it. You took deep root and filled the land. Some of you here are gardeners or are trying to be gardeners, right? We don't know which, which you are yet, but you know that every time that you plant, you have to do a lot of preparation. you got to clear the ground. you got to work at it. And you're trying to, you know, as soon as you get excited about gardening, you're kind of out there a lot, right? You're, you're, you're working with the soil. You're planting the seed. You're, you're cutting things. And you get really kind of after it. This is the picture of God. God is planting his vine, his people, and he's careful with it. He wants it to grow. He's, 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 he's managing. He's, he's massaging it. And how does he do that? The, the mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the seas and its shoots to the river. This vine is growing in abundance. Maybe the people of God are growing in abundance. Listen, one of the joys of what I have seen happen at Park Baptist Church over the last five years is the vine has grown. The people of God have grown. they become more like Christ there's a, there's a more hunger for the Word of God. There's a more delight in the fellowship of the saints. It is beautiful. Now, we have not grown in dramatic numbers in terms of people, in terms of money. We, we've actually probably decreased in the last five years, right? And we can look at all these other things in, in, the, in, the, in the trestle, right? That And we can say, man, we are, we are languishing. But you know what? The vine... The people of God are growing. They're growing intimately more connected with Jesus. Because our gracious vine dresser, our gracious gardener God, is what? Tilling and massaging and protecting and giving shade and providing rain and sun and heat to, to grow his people. It's a beautiful picture. This is all the psalmist is saying. His Lord, you are the one who planted the vine. We are only a people of God because you have done this. This is what is. This is what Moses said when he was debating with God. When God, after they they had the the golden calf, um, the debacle, and God says, "I'm done with you people. Right? You guys can go, but I'm not going to go with you." And Moses is like, "If you don't go, how will people know that we belong to you? It's only that if you go with us that people will know we are yours." This is a, a picture of the of. God, come, be our vine dresser like you did in the past. Because the story goes on and and the vine is, is being destroyed. Verse 12, Why then have you broken down its walls that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see, have... Regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. This vine, this this son imagery, it's God taking special interest with the people of God. Your right hand planted this vine. God, I'm asking you again to turn and tend your land. Tend your vine. So, as a church, one of the things that we always have to be more focused on is the vine growth, Right? When I say vine growth, I mean spiritual growth. How are we growing spiritually? Are we growing more in love with Jesus? Are we growing more in love with the the Word of God? Are we growing more uh, holy and godly in our lives? Are we saying no to sin and yes to Jesus? Are we growing more as a family? Is there true familial love with each other? And can I just tell you, by God's grace, that is such an evidence of our congregation. A familial love with each other. One of the members of fellowship after last week's service um, called me and said, Pastor, I just want to say thank you. I was so overwhelmed with the the welcoming reception of the people of God at Park. I I was so overwhelmed with what I saw among the people of God and their love for each other. That's what I want to hear. That, that, That shows me that the vine Right? The spiritual nature of of Park Baptist Church is healthy and strong. Now, of course, there's always things that we can grow in, but I think by God's grace, what I'm seeing is an evidence that the the Father, the gardener, is pruning and, and working on this vine, and we are growing spiritually. Right? And what does the Bible say? We who are faithful with little, God will bless us with much. It may not be right away, but God will continue to bless this church as long as we continue to grow in the vine. As long as our focus is spiritual growth and not building, budget, and, you know, bottom growth, right? That's what, what people want in, in, in church marketing. School. That's not our goal. Our goal is that we would become a holy family who loves Jesus. If we do that, that's vine growth. That's what we're going to focus on. This is, the, that, that's, this is the prayer, I think, of Asaph here in the psalm. He's appealing to, to do what God has already done. And notice, who was it that planted this vine? It was God. God is the author of the church. God is the sustainer of the church. God is going to be the one who completes the journey of the church. It begins, it su- is sustained, and it ends all with God as our gardener. Well, lastly, I love how this ends Um, The restoration of the right-hand man. The restoration of the right-hand man. Look at how this psalm kind of goes. Verse 16. Still speaking about the vine. It says, they have burned it with a fire. They've cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand. The son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. What a great picture of our Savior, That right? Jesus Christ, the one who is at the right hand of God, the psalmist says, let your hand be upon him, our Savior, our Messiah. Because even here they were longing and looking for the, the one who was going to come. The Savior, the Messiah, who was going to deliver them. They may not have understood then what that deliverance was. That deliverance wasn't just a, a physical, earthly deliverance, but an eternal one. They may not have fully understood it at this moment in time, but they knew that the one at God's right hand needed to be strengthened by God Himself. And it specifically says the Son of Man, whom you have made strong for yourself. And listen, the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ was His ability to, to say no to sin and yes to the Father. His 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 being made strong was his willingness to die to himself. To, to give himself for our sake. To take our sin upon the cross. To be willing to, to die and to be buried. And to be raised again for his resurrection and for ours. That's how God strengthened him. So when Gary said this morning that he wants us to be imitators of God, well, what he wants us to do, he wants us to follow Jesus. He wants us to be strong like Jesus. He wants us to die to ourselves. Die to our living for our ways and our um, our pleasures, our comforts, and saying yes to the Father and doing whatever the Father wants us to do. He wants us to, to continue to lay down our lives for one another, to give ourselves to one another. So practically, what does that mean? It means that, that what you have done here, you have given yourselves to each other here tonight by not staying home, by by considering how you can stir one another up to loving good deeds by gathering with the saints a second time today, right? It's to, to give yourselves uh, by giving up a, maybe an early morning breakfast or getting up early to spend time with the saints to encourage each other. It may be giving up rest or comfort at night because you're praying for each other that no one will ever ever know of. It may be that God is asking you to give up maybe comfort, pleasure, vacations for the glory of God so that you can give to other, those who are in, in need. Listen, we can make it very, very practical. The, the Bible, as Gary said this morning, is very relevant. And God strengthened the Son of Man to overcome sin in this world To be willing to die for the sake of others and be raised on the the third day. Beloved, God wants you to lay down your life to say no to sin. Give yourself to others so that you and others will be raised in in the life to come. But remember, this strengthening only comes from God. It's not as if if we try harder, if we do more, God will be pleased with us. No, God's smile upon you rests in His Son. And God delights in the Lord Jesus. He delights in the Lord Jesus. And guess what? When you repent of your sins and trust in Christ, you are in Jesus. You have the smile of God. Because God never looks at you through your sin. He looks at you through the smile of the Lord Jesus. Because God is Strengthened with his hand, the one who is at his right hand, the Son of Man, who God made strong for himself. The psalm ends this way. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. The only way that salvation comes to us is if we have God's smile. And God will only be pleased with us if we are in the Son in whom he is well pleased. Father, we love you. We thank you so much that you are a God who has smiled upon us because you have smiled upon your son. God, we thank you that we share in the, the delight of you because of the work of your son on our behalf. We pray, God, that whatever circumstances that we are dealing with in this life, we can appeal to you as our shepherd, as our gardener, as our Messiah and Savior, to deliver us in this life and the life to come. Thank you for your smile. In Jesus' name, amen.